Welcome to the Tinnily Talks podcast, where we dive into the common legal issues facing today's community associations. Whether you're a manager, board member, or homeowner, you're sure to pick up on some nuggets of advice to help you build a successful community in this ever-evolving and changing world. Hello, and welcome to Tinley Talks. I'm Ramona Acosta. And I'm Steve Tinley. And today we're discussing HOA elections with Kathy Tinley and Cheryl Wilson of Accurate Voting Services. So Accurate Voting Services is an independent inspector of election company that meets the unique election needs of California homeowners associations. And as Ramona said, Kathy's last name is Tinley and my last name is Tinley. So full disclosure, I've got my mommy sitting here next to us in the recording room and I'm really pumped for you to be here today. Thanks for joining us, Kathy and Cheryl. You're Thank you for inviting Thanks us. for having us. So independent inspector of elections. The topic of HOA elections is always something that's kind of at the forefront, especially with SB 323 that took effect at the first of uh, 2020 that kind of changed the election process. So I'd love for you ladies just to kind of give us a background on what it is that you do for associations and and kind of the unique need that your company fills? Well, we are a full-service inspector of election company, and so we um, provide our proposals to the managers, and when our contract has been approved, then we jump in in concert with management, prepare as much as we can to get the election in the mail. We um, discuss a lot of times the time frame to assist the manager in that regard, and then We, um, at the appropriate time, no less than 30 days prior to the election date, mail the election materials to the members. The ballot return envelopes come to us. We keep all of the ballot return envelopes in our care and custody. We update the managers how many ballots we have received to achieve quorum. We attend the meeting upon quorum achievement. We tabulate the votes. We provide our inspector report. And then, per California law, we retain the complete election materials for 12 months thereafter return to management. So that's kind of a nutshell of our service. So the whole thing, full service. 100%. No partial service for us, yes. No No bits and pieces, just full service. We believe that is the spirit of the law. Others mail it, we show up and count it, no. No, we do everything. You do everything. You I, handle it. I got to tell you, as, as a former community manager, I love that, just to be able to hand you the voter registration list or the homeowner list and just, here you go, please take it. It is. It does seem to be appreciated by the managers, for sure. So they have um, a big job to do because they need to send out the call for candidates. When the deadline comes, receive the candidate names, the resumes of the candidates, send out the 60-day before the election date notice to the members, and then um, provide that to us. So they still have a lot of important work to do, but the nitty-gritty of the election itself, Mm -hmm. they seem to be very, very pleased especially for managers who've never been able to have an outsourced company. Yes. They love it. Got it. So this is kind of a new thing for those managers because before SB 323, I mean, the law has for a long time required an inspector of election to oversee the election. But a lot of management firms before SB 323 would actually perform that work on behalf of their clients. And one of the unique reasons behind SB 323 was the legislature said, no, we don't want anybody who's under contract with the association, which could be management, it could be our law firm. Mm -hmm. They don't want us serving as the inspector. They want the association to contract with a third party company, which from what I understand caused a lot of management firms to shift and say, wait a second, now we've got to really actually start pitching this to a you know, an accurate voting services type of company to come in and handle it. So it's probably been a first impression for a lot of managers, and I'm sure they're relieved by not having to do as much of the laboring or uh, as they did previously. They often compliment us on how easy and they're able to get through 
their election, how much they enjoy us representing. We really are part of their team, and they do appreciate that. Because the law started July 1, 2006, but it wasn't really adhered to for the most part. Got it. And here we are 15 years later, and it's a real for sure law. So, as you said, the compliance with many management companies is new, and it trickles down to the managers who never had the opportunity to outsource. So we do find that we're pretty appreciated. And um, you know, often the managers will say, thank you so much for helping us through this, navigating the waters of the new election law. And, um, and so we're really happy to do that. And we're appreciated, and that makes us feel good, too. Awesome. Well, that's, that's, that's cool. And I know, you know under the new state of the law and the, the prior state of the law, still allows this unique carve-out that allows an association to have the third-party inspector be a homeowner volunteer homeowner the homeowner can't be related uh to you know to any candidate for the board if it's a board election or to you know or actually be on the board themselves obviously you want to be a candidate correct yeah i'm going to count the ballots for myself here (laughs) that that makes a lot of sense do you find the communities uh are are doing that or they're successful with that have you any insight on on what because sometimes we get asked by our clients to say hey can we have a have a homeowner do it what's your experience been well we're out so our belief in the spirit of the law truly is that a true job duty of an inspector of election is to do everything, as I said, mail it, collect it, receive it, keep everything in our care and custody, tabulate all the way through full service. So for you to bits and pieces and have someone who, with all good intentions, say, I think I could show up and count. I've never seen anything before. I've never done this before. But what do I do? I don't know how accurate it's going to be, but I want to volunteer. No. Then we're yeah. not involved in that, so not a good idea. Well, I've always been surprised. Like, what, what, how do you deal with the custody issue? So when the inspector's receiving these ballots and has to retain custody for, it's a year, the time frame, right? Oh, that's correct. So, you know, we have Bob, the homeowner, and Bob's a well-intentioned guy, and he want to, wants to help the community out for all volunteer time. Where's Bob keeping custody of these? Bob's not. <laughs> He's not. Where's, where are they getting started Bob's, then? Bob's giving it to the management company. Got and it. If there's any kind of challenge, then Bob didn't have it in his care and custody. Got so it. I'm not sure how that goes sideways. That would well, be a one. <laughs> and there's so many other issues with, you know, the homeowner. You and I had this conversation earlier. You know, the homeowner is well-intentioned, but things come up and the homeowner doesn't show up at the meeting to do the counting. There are decisions that the inspector has to make when when a ballot is not completed correctly or the outside of the envelope is not completed correctly. And do you want a volunteer homeowner making those types of decisions? You know, so there are just there's so many so many issues as to you know, yeah, a homeowner can do it, and yeah, that might be more cost effective for the association in the beginning, but could turn into other problems later on down the road. Definitely. It's it's so nuanced, it's not just showing up and counting. Mm-hmm. We have mailed collect and we date and timestamp every single envelope every single day as we receive it. Everything's um, every envelope is one hundred percent looking against the membership list to make sure that the person who signed it, their name matches the ownership list. There's just so much involved. It's not just a show up and count. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Counting is the simplest the, part of the The whole counting is so nothing part of it, yeah, because um, quorum is achieved by the number of envelopes, right, correctly prepared. And, um, and then you open up those envelopes and all kinds of things you're going to find. If you're not really a professional and very well-versed and you have a lot of experience, I don't know what... Uh, a good-hearted a volunteer would even know how to accurately mm-hmm. take care of those things. Yeah. yeah. So these are corporations, and we just take it all very seriously to do the very best, most professional and accurate job, and it's served us well for 
Over 15 years yeah, now. <laughs> there, there you go. You know, one thing I think that a lot of community managers and boards don't understand is with SB 323, the bar has been lowered and made it a lot easier for homeowners to actually challenge the results of an election based upon a defect in the way in which the election was was conducted, which is why a lot of times we tell our clients, listen, even if you could do this to shave a buck here or there or try to make the process, you're leaving a skeleton in the closet because if this thing's not complied with, the legislature in adopting this new bill is pretty specific that, yeah, we're corporations, but more and more they look at us as quasi-governments, right? We're serving a, a public service here, and this thing needs to be done with every T crossed and every die dotted, and if it's not done that way, homeowners have a pretty easy recourse to, to file a file an action, not even in superior court, but in small claims court, and to recover actually fees and penalties associated with it. So there's there's a risk inherent in doing these things, which is why I can understand uh, the need for your services and to be able to conduct the uh, the whole process. Switching gears a little bit to the um, to the new election law. I know managers we have we built an election timeline on our. <coughs> on our website to kind of help managers guide them through this process because now there's an additional month, right, where we have to post notice of the nominating procedure and then obviously post notice of the candidates. And a lot of times you as accurate voting services are relying on on management to make sure that these notices, right, get get posted. What is the 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 biggest, you know, issue that you see or the most common issue that you see in working with your clients that their managers might not understand or something that they overlook? They just lose track of the calendar, and all of a sudden they realize they missed all those very important timely steps, and they just have to push their election date out to catch up to all the Got steps it. they have to take. So if that's the remedy, then say, okay, well, you know, that's kind of, you know, it's a, it's always a, you know, we're service providers to these associations, right? We all work together to, to serve the association, and nobody wants to mess up a process because then, okay, our service providers are not getting the job done, and then finger pointing starts. So what's the remedy then? If there's a defect in something like that, we just push the election back a little bit? Yes, that's okay. all we can offer for a solution because all those are they're so time sensitive every step mm-hmm. and you can't back up in time. So if you missed your call for candidates, if you missed your whatever step you miss, mm-hmm. the only thing you really can do is get it back on track, go further out in the future for a date and back up. Well, and I think, I mean, just to take a step back, you know, I mean, we're still seeing SB 323 went into effect January 1st of 2020 of, 20, of 2020. We are still receiving requests from associations for new election rules to comply with a bill that went into effect last year. Oh, man. So, you know, and in the first quarter of 2020, we said, okay, well, do the best that you can do, right? Because election rules had to be had to be changed and updated no less than 90 days prior mm-hmm. to the mailing of the nomination procedures, right? Well, nobody could comply with that because of the way the calendar fell. So, so it was... Do the best that you can, push your election out, and then you have all of 2020 so that you can comply in 2021. And I agree with you. I think that there was a pandemic, and then there were other issues that that came into play and other things that became more of a priority, and elections fell further and further down the priority list. And now we're in 2021, and we still have election rules that need to be adopted no, still 90 playing days catch before, up. 90 still days playing before catch the nomination sure. forms. Yes, yeah. yes. We have, we have a few managers who simply just took the year off. Yeah. They just took 2020 off, and they just simply didn't have elections. So it's a real catch-up now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's happening. So in a situation where you need to push the election, sometimes we'll get you know calls from, oh, my gosh, this is, this is you know, the world is ending. We've got to push the election. It's going to be such a big deal. Everybody's going to be upset. I mean, what's your experience? Does the membership typically react negatively to that? Is it that big of a deal? Or do you just kind of explain that we have to push it back because we have to comply with the law? I mean, what's what do you see on the ground when you're, when you're in the middle of that? Well, we don't really... 
the members have not, we haven't seen really. The members wouldn't know what they don't know. From the members. And I think what we're seeing is that everybody wanted to at least get their election done in the year uh, for the year 2020 by the end of the year 2020. So elections that were scheduled to take place, say, in May, might have happened in um, November. Mm -hmm. And so we um, we, we had a big crunch to get everything done by year end. And what we're noticing now is that even though they had an election in November, they are now scheduling their 2021 election for the normal month that they would normally have it. So they'll have November and then they'll have, okay, now we're going to now schedule our election for May, even though it's only been a few months. So then they, they're trying to they're get right back on their anniversary on their election month. They and are. so far, and you've seen them, they've had success in that regard? Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. But back to your question, what do the members think? I don't think the members would know what they don't know. They didn't have a notice. They didn't get a call. So they're not looking for that particular date. So when the manager calls us, the manager realizes that they have lost track of the calendar. Got it. And if they call us enough time, we can help them. Maybe they'll only have to push it out maybe a week or two. They can keep the election month. Mm-hmm. We'll push out maybe a week or two, and then they can still have the steps. So we're calendaring all day along with management. Mm-hmm. Got it. Well, on another issue, you know, one of the things about SB 323, this was something that was debated among our attorney colleagues in the industry for a while, is this whole issue of elections by acclamation, right? Election by acclamation, you've got two seats up for the board. You've only got two people running. So why do we have to go through the procedure of sending out ballots and doing this? Why can't we just declare these people elected by acclamation and this way we can save the expense associated with the election? Our firm's position even before SB 323 is that that's not allowed under under the code. Uh, We think it's very specific in that regard. But there were some attorneys that said, well, no, if you amend your bylaws and you put in some fancy language that allows you to do it, you can do it. One of the fortunate things I think about SB 323 is that the legislature spoke and said, no, elections by acclamation are not permitted unless you're one of, I think, three associations that satisfy the requirements, right? They're above 6,000 units. units. Yeah, something along along those lines. So um, so elections have to happen even if they are uncontested. But there is a, a bill actually proposed now, Ramona, right? Do you know the number of that bill off the top of your head? Not off the top of my head. Um, there's actually a couple of, of bills pertaining to elections this year. So it might get, by the end of 2021, we might shake it up all over again. Um, but yeah, this this bill will pertain specifically to acclamation. Um, Lori Davies in Orange County was actually um, the legislator that introduced it. And it's going to allow for acclamation for any association. So if you have the equal number of candidates to the equal number of positions, um, then you won't have to go through the whole balloting process. The whole thing. But we've seen bills like that surfaced before and they were they've never so so there is a um, another organization so cai and their california legislative action committee that is the committee that works with legislators to promote these types of uh, pieces of legislation there is another organization um that is for homeowners um typically you know senior communities and they have a, a very concern about disenfranchising their members and and they're not being allowed to vote and participate in elections and so they believe that acclamation would prevent write-in candidates nominations from the floor and so there it would therefore disenfranchise certain members from from voting and um, acclamation is one of those pieces of legislation that you don't propose in an election year whether that's a state election or a federal election because everybody is focused on elections and Steve you mentioned that HOAs are quasi governments and so when we talk about elections we kind of get put into that government realm and so this is a good year to propose it um, because it's a non-election year. 
That being said, we just came out of an election year that was very much contested and had many accusations of of fraud and and all kinds of other issues, right or wrong. And so to have, you know, a, a legislature move towards acclimation, I mean, we'll we'll see. You know, California has not has not been a fan of it up to this point. So maybe you know, they'll have a change of heart. Who, maybe who I knows? Mean, we'll see. We'll have to have to bob and weave. Um, all right. So SB 323, another uh, big component of it, dealt with uh, qualifications for candidates. This way, you know, I'm a homeowner. I want to run for the board. And the thought process was that associations through their election rules were adopting these qualifications that allowed board members to control who could actually be a qualified candidate by doing, you know, some bad deeds. For example, we had one client that we were working with where we found out, I said, well, this is kind of the test case of what the legislature had in mind and didn't want to have happen. There was somebody that was going to be running for the board that the current board members didn't want to get on the board. So, of course, prior to the election, this individual homeowner who was a candidate, they found some sort of ticky-tack violation. Oh, they need paint on their fence or something along those lines. Then deemed them in violation of the governing documents and therefore a member not in good standing and therefore somebody who's not eligible uh, to run. So what the legislature did is they said, no, we don't want to allow that. We're only going to allow associations to disqualify candidates for certain things. They, you know, they have to be a member. Right. Even if they're not not current in the payment of assessments, there's carve out for that. So the legislature doesn't want boards to be able to do these types of things to, to disqualify people. I'm curious to know what role does an inspector of election play when someone says, hey, wait a second, this person who's you know submitted their nomination form and should be a candidate, they're not qualified based on the association's election rules. Do you get involved in that at all, or is the association kind of feel It that? does happen after the fact, oftentimes. We did an election the other day that... Um after the fact and after the tabulation, after the election results are reported, oh my goodness, we management probably didn't do the best job because one of the candidates hasn't been an owner for one year. Uh, so now we have to go to legal to figure out how we're going to undo that. Got it. But we're not part of the call for candidates and we're not part of the vetting process of candidates. So we become involved after the 60-day notice has been posted. And now we know the date, time, place, we know the candidates' names, and so on. Then we pre- start beginning to prepare the election materials. Got it. And, the, and the, the voter roster, right, the list of the owners who are eligible to vote, that's something that's also provided to you by management as, yes. as well? Okay, you don't Correct. Administer any Correct. Of that. Yeah, the database comes from management. Well, Steve, I mean, a question to you is, as, a, as an attorney, how involved should, should volunteer board members and managers be in the disqualification of candidates? You know, you must be a member you know, you may or may not have the requirement to be a member for at least a year. Management companies, they, when we're talking about members, they have their roster. That roster may or may not correspond with the actual title to the property. And mm-hmm. management companies aren't pulling title to confirm membership. So who, who should be making those decisions? Who should be vetting those candidates? Today's episode is brought to you by Altera Assessment Recovery. Altera provides comprehensive attorney-supervised assessment collection services to community associations throughout California. Trust us with your collection needs. We'll get the job done, done right, and as quickly and efficiently as possible. Altera Assessment Recovery. We're the collection team you've been looking for. 
Well, in terms of the member, the me- yeah. So both, just for those of you that are listening, both Cheryl and Kathy are saying, "Not us, not us." They're running, they're running yeah, for the door. We have no um, ability to do yeah, that. Yeah, to some, to some respect, as legal counsel, we don't necessarily want to do that. But I mean, we're kind of the person that has to. In terms of us pulling a roster, and making sure that everybody's on title, and that the I mean, that's something that's up to the association's custodian of records, right? That's management's job to do. Right. Mm-hmm. But my encouragement to a community manager, especially when you know you have somebody who's running for the board, and this, you know, it's a heated election. Oh, by the way, this person's actually not qualified to run. Right under the new law, you actually have to give the person an opportunity to participate in IDR. There's, there's before you just disqualify them. So if you're in a situation where okay, we've got you know uh, Samantha who's running here, but Samantha is not qualified to run, and Samantha is not going to be happy about this news. That would be a good situation to just run that up the flagpole a little bit to legal counsel and let us just kind of bless it. Because if the association gets named in a an election suit, we're going to be the ones involved uh, dealing with Absolutely. it. So, yeah, it's always Definitely. it's always good to make sure that everything is is right before you before you pull the trigger um, on on that type of on that type of stuff. Do you ever see issues with people that you know when ballots are coming in and someone says I was improperly disqualified? They show up at a meeting or anything along those lines. Any fireworks like that? Nothing really. We haven't had no, they, and we would, and even if that complaint came to us, we would have to refer them back to management because we just don't have the database. Mm-hmm. We don't know when you purchased your home. We don't have that kind of information, so we don't really have those kinds of questions asked of us. Got it. Well, another interesting issue this pops up every now and again is, uh, you know, obviously as much as we would like to think that homeowners and association once they get that ballot. They're so excited to complete the ballot. They're going to return the ballot on time because the association is going to make quorum. We're going to be able to conduct our election. Yeah, right. That's really not the scenario we deal with, right? We deal with a lot of membership apathy, and sometimes it's very difficult for an association to to achieve quorum, right? And then there's usually a process in their documents that allows the association to adjourn the meeting. So when you have, let's say, a meeting that's scheduled for this date and you know you're not going to reach quorum and then you want to adjourn it to a later date so that you have a lower quorum requirement, how does that adjournment happen? Do you, is that something that you facilitate? Does the board facilitate that? How, does that? how does that typically work when you see that when an association needs to adjourn a meeting to a later date? Well, in, in today's world, because we're not all together in the same room and it's all been Zoom, mm-hmm. we're very um, clear to tell you that you're so far from quorum for the original election date, perhaps you all would decide. When mm-hmm. I say you all, management would probably go to the board because that's the easiest contact and they would decide on an adjourned date. Mm-hmm. And if they have adjourned quorum, we do it maybe next week. Mm-hmm. And um, then we go there. But we're not really instrumental in setting that date we can offer. Mm-hmm. But we're constantly updating how close you are to your original quorum, how close you are to your adjourned quorum, and then we just start calendaring it out. Yeah, I mean, for the it was actually a client. It was two years ago where there was actually a lawsuit, and this stemmed from it was that the uh, the meeting was not properly adjourned because I don't think that a lot of managers and, and board members understand that a motion has to be made at that original schedule to adjourn the meeting, and notice has to be provided. Like there is a formal procedure to do that. Well, Steve, can you kind of go over that a little bit? Just because I've I've been that manager who's been in the position where. I am by myself at, in the clubhouse parking lot. None of my board members have shown up for my annual meeting. None of my homeowners have shown up for my annual meeting. They, they're doing it all mail by ballot. Mm-hmm. I'm the only one there because somebody has to be there to count the ballots. And so I don't have quorum and there's nobody there to make a motion. And so I'm speaking to the parking lot. Okay, the meeting is going to be adjourned for five days from now because I have enough for my, you know, my reduced quorum. 
that's technically not correct, but I don't no. know what else to do in that particular situation because yeah. there's nobody there. In that situation, you've got to have at least, you know, that's when you have to tap one of your board members mm-hmm. and say you at least have to be there. Someone needs to, you know, be able to make a motion. Two of you are there. We have to adjourn this meeting and we have to do this thing properly because in the event this thing is challenged and we saw it for, with this client, there was a, you know, a significant lawsuit that emanated from it and it dealt with the issue and the judge ruled, yeah, the adjournment wasn't proper because a motion wasn't made at the meeting and notice wasn't properly provided. All management did was was post a uh, sticky taped a little notice on the door saying, hey, our meeting is going to be next week. So anybody who's coming, we're going to push it out to next week because now it's, quote, adjourned. But that wasn't the formal problem. And who knew? I mean, that would come back to to bite the association but in this case it was a uh, it was a recall election so oh, wow. the, yeah the stakes were the that's stakes even were more special i know that's, but that's why that's why i think that this this conversation is important because you know again having having done so many elections it is not uncommon to only have one person show up you're lucky to get the board to show up especially if it's an election that you've had repeatedly because you haven't been able to get quorum mm-hmm. you know at some point everyone just kind of gives up and management's odd man out trying to trying to have this election yeah um so i think it's i think it's important for both managers and board members to know that yeah it's a membership meeting but we still need you to be there we still need we need you to be there because we're not at quorum and we're going to need to adjourn it in order for us to adjourn it you actually have to make a motion and that yeah. motion has to pass by the people who are, you know, present, right, whether it's digitally or, or, or in person. Because it was a duly noticed meeting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can't get around that. So, yes, it has to be formalized in some regard yeah. to be compliant. But you think that <laughs> it's so irresistible. We think our election materials are so irresistible and they look so good and they're so inviting. But achieving quorum the first night is tough. Yeah. It's still a challenge. Do you ever work with associations that don't have quorum requirements, that they've been removed altogether? A few. A few. Mm-hmm. How does that work? One ballot is quorum, and we count it that so night. You we know a, it's going to happen that night, no matter how many ballots we have. Yeah, and and for those communities, we've always kind of cautioned our clients against that because let's say you know you're a hundred unit community without quorum, you could have one five, ballot cast. That. One one ballot cast that kind of rules the day. I mean, that, that's what that quorum requirement is there for. It's to make sure that you have at least a you know enough sampling of mm-hmm. your membership, membership right too. to understand what way the membership. Uh, membership is leaning. So we've always been hesitant to tell, hey, can we just remove quorum altogether to make it? Well, do you really want that? Do you really want the potential for, for one or two ballots to decide? I don't think that originally it was prepared that way when they built the development, mm-hmm. but they have been amended. Yeah. I don't think they, I, out the no. door, I don't think that's how it was begun. No, actually, I don't think that's, that way, that's allowed in the model amended. documents, but we Correct. can. We but can they amend. have been amended a handful of them to have no quorum requirement. Mm-hmm. So we see it a little bit. But it's not from the original. It's from an amendment. And some amendments it's pretty have crazy. from 50% or the majority to 25%. That's yeah. pretty typical, 50 to 25. 50 to 25. I've seen, you know, for bigger communities, 25, and it'll step down to 15 or 10. Correct. But taking Correct. it down to zero, to me, just kind of seems, I don't know. We don't see it often, but yes, there's a little bit out there. Okay. What's really hard is when the quorum does not reduce. Good luck with that. It's going to stay at 50%, and it's never going to reduce. Those are tough. So you don't reach quorum, and then what? You try again next year, and then you reestablish. Maybe three attempts, whatever you think is fair. Mm -hmm. Maybe three attempts is pretty typical. Some associations just go, and they won't give up, and they'll just go. They'll go every single month for a year until it's time for next election to roll around. (laughs) They just can't give up. Mm -hmm. So got it. So yeah, we need to think of ways to encourage members to participate a little bit more, try to make the job a little bit easier. Well, it's funny because you used to do the ice cream socials or the pizza parties and, you know, at least for 2020 and, you know, part of 2021, you can't do that. 
you can't have the ice cream party. Oh, it's a free full coffee, area, free. Oh, right? yeah. There's been a lot of refreshments because it's their annual get together. Yeah, and those never have a problem with quorum. Right, never. But I have to say, for this year with the pandemic, people have been home. And they've been able to focus on getting that ballot in. It's been a little bit better. We thought we thought it was even going to be better, but yes, yes. Associations that we didn't achieve first time around Mm -hmm. this year with the pandemic. So that yeah, they're at home. Get a little something to do. (laughs) They have something to do. That's true. Go to the mailbox. That's the ballot, true. Both ballots and drive over, hand deliver. Totally. Get something to do. I can't go outing. outside, but I can go to my mailbox right and get that ballot. <laughs> I got something to do today other than Netflix. That's exactly right. I get it. I had an interesting question come up last week um, regarding equal access, and um, a manager asked me if a candidate could post a flyer in the common area as part of their campaigning. And I don't see anything that says that they can't do that. I said, you know, I said, but just keep in mind that there's an equal access, right? And so even though it's equal access to meet common area meeting space, I said, you know, just keep in mind that that anything that's good for one candidate is good for all the candidates. But I think we should probably talk about equal access because it's not just equal access to meeting space, but it's equal access to media as well. Social media pages, newsletters, websites, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, that, again, this is kind of another example of the legislature's treatment of us as quasi-government, right? This is a First Amendment thing. And the, these are rights that we need to vindicate for the homeowners. A lot of times where we see clients trip up on the equal access issues when the board is the one that kind of opens the door because let's say it's a special assessment or a loan or some type of special (laughs) election, right? And the board says, okay, what we need to do is we need to on the association's newsletter and we'll post it everywhere and the board will, under what the the law defines it as, advocate a point of view, right? And they're advocating, this is why you need to support the loan. This is why you need to support the special assessment for the repipe project. And they put that out or they mail it out Mm -hmm. or they put it on a newsletter. And by doing that, Anybody in the community, not just a, a group of homeowners or if it's a board election, the candidates, anybody in the community now is given under the law that same access. So, oh, by the way, the newsletter now needs to run, uh, you know, the piece prepared by Judy, who's against this thing that has all this venomous language about what the board's doing. And the board doesn't really realize that, well, they, they're going to run this through the newsletter. They can't run this through the newsletter. That's association. Well, you gave access mm-hmm. to somebody advocating a point of view. No, it wasn't somebody. It was the board. Yeah, the board is somebody. There's case law uh, on that. So do you see that issue pop up from time <laughs> to time? We were very involved in that. Like what you hear so far? Make sure to subscribe to the Tinley Talks podcast at TinleyLaw.com and never miss an episode. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now let's get back to the show. There was an association that was very, very um, adamant about a particular. I think I can't. I think they wanted one of their pools to be turned into a garden, whatever the case was. And the board was so, so supportive of this particular special vote, and they did. They opened up the clubhouse. They had town hall meetings. They were on and on and on. And then the other side wanted to have their part, mm-hmm. and they were denied. And that did go to court, all the way. All the way to court. And the board did lose because they did not allow equal access Mm -hmm. to the other side 100 percent. that was years ago yeah years ago so that's definitely yeah a problem well yeah now we have the benefit of learning from it i mean one of the things we always tell our clients hey there's a defect in the election process or this someone's challenging that they didn't get equal access we always tell our clients and i don't know if you see this because you work with communities you know all throughout the state not just those that that we work with right but that you know so i'm curious to know how other communities do it we always take the position there's something wrong just redo the election 
or push it back. Do whatever you need to do to comply with this to give this person equal access because why are you going to allow somebody who's already shown that they want to be a thorn in your side to give them a legal avenue to do that and to and to kind of rub the associations and the board's nose and, and what it is that they did wrong. Yeah, that's see- the smartest move. Okay. It really is. Because yeah. if it's going downhill, it's not gonna it's not gonna straighten out. Yeah. <laughs> so just stop and get it back on track, and then go forward. No, that's a smart move. Well, and I think to your point, Steve, you know, when you talked about um, election challenges and and the ability for a homeowner to take it to court, correct me if I'm wrong, but it used to be that a judge would look at it and, and say, okay, well. You know, looking at looking at the election as a whole, this one infraction wasn't going to change the outcome of the election. So, yes, association slap on the hand, but we're going to let it ride. And the court can't do that anymore, right? I mean, now they just have to invalidate it. Yes. Well, yeah, actually, now the law requires it. So a judge used to be able to sit there and say, yeah, I understand that this thing might have gone out a day late. Or there was this thing that happened. But in reality, anybody who's looking at this that's a reasonable, objective person says it wouldn't have made a difference. It wouldn't have made it. The election came out how it came out. The judge used to have that discretion. Now a judge doesn't have that discretion. A judge is actually required by law, mandated by law, to invalidate the results of the election. It's kind of like what we see in the collection arena for dealing with assessment collections. Like strict compliance is required. So the standard is is raised. So I think it's always good. Just make sure every T is crossed and every I is dotted. And if a cross kind of looks like a smudge, then do it over and make sure it's a, make sure it's a cross. Right? Cause that's going to be Absolutely. a lot less effective, a lot less expensive yeah. than paying for legal fees. Even small claims court, they get to get their consulting fees back. Right. Yeah. So it's going to be less expensive to just do it over. Do it over. One thing we tell our clients is, yeah, I mean, you could do it this way. And I, if, you know, if, I wasn't doing my job and I wasn't ethical. I could tell you, yeah, do it that way because it's probably going to generate more legal fees for our firm in defending this challenge for you. Or in terms of what's in the best interest of your association, the corporation, just do it right. Do the election over again. Don't waste money on attorney's fees and make sure that there's no skeletons in the closet that could bite you. And the unrest in the community ripples out beyond. Yeah. Uh, you can't even get that back. Mm-hmm. So just straighten up and get back on track from the get-go. Yeah, keep everything... Because ab- potential for it to go so far is costly on many levels. Yeah. Financial, for sure. Financial, for sure, right? But emotional, right? Community discord. Neighbor against neighbor. It's a black cloud on the community. It's... Yeah. You're right. I mean, you're asking for a recall election at that point. Because now, Because now the community feels like there's the board did something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to hide something, right? Yeah. That's what they always think. It has an appearance. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it definitely. You can't well, on take the, that away. On the topic of recalls, so of, of the amount of elections that you do, because you do anything that requires a vote of the membership and the secret ballot process under the code, right? So it's large right. special assessments, grants of exclusive use of common area, right, that don't meet one of the exceptions, board elections, and also board recalls. Yep. Of the, of the gamut of all these elections that you do, I'm curious to know, how many of them are recalls? Well, I will tell you they're trending. <laughs> Recalls are up, huh? They are trending, and I don't know if it's just everybody's just a little bit um, unhappy and mm-hmm. a little bit um, aggravated with life in general. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't take much. 5% signatures. Yeah, it doesn't petition take of 5% much. of the membership. So I don't know right? if it's free entertainment or what it is, but it just doesn't take much to get going. Mm-hmm. And here we are. So we're doing a record amount. This year, yes. Yeah. Last year. And a recall is going to happen, but if you could just wait a few more weeks, the board election's on its way. Nope, won't give it up. That recall is going to go forward. Really? So, so much. So even though the... the so much. Wow. Wow, that's surprising. So I know, especially you know, a lot of associations are on cumulative voting, right, with staggered terms, and then you know, usually in their documents, in order to recall, 
you know, one or two board members less than the entire board, we've got this crazy reverse cumulative formula and I won't go into it <laughs> because crazy. yes, whoever's listening to this will turn it off right away <laughs> mm-hmm. if I try to explain that process. But at least in our experience, what we see for our clients, they say, oh my gosh, we got a recall petition. What's going to happen? A lot of times you say, well, you know, if it's if this is like the majority of the recalls that we see, it's it's not going to succeed because you're not going to be able to satisfy that that high standard, that reverse cumulative standard. On the recalls that you administer, how many of them do you think do you see are successful? Let's say you had a hundred recalls that you that well, you do. Well, you're correct in the formula process because if you've tried to recall less than the entire board, you probably have failed. And if you're hell bent on having that recall. Now you're going to get smarter. Someone educated you somewhere, mm-hmm. and now you're going to recall the entire board. You have a much better chance Got it. Yes. to be successful. You're going to recall the entire board. Exactly. So even in a situation where someone smarter said, listen, we need to recall the entire board rather than triggering this reverse cumulative formula, how often do you see these recall measures actually succeed? Maybe 30%. Yeah. Oh, that's more than I thought. Yeah. Well, there's a movement going on. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Got it. Well, you know, speaking of recalls, I mean, there's a big debate in the legal community about recalls and corporations code versus the new SB 323 and the timelines. We actually had a prospective client call a few weeks ago because their legal counsel was essentially trying to do the recall through the corporations code timeline and then vote in the new board versus the SB 323 timeline, which was going to have, which was going to cause them to go for about three months without a board of directors. And I know one of the things, too, that you have always talked about is that SB 323 has specific language yeah. about superseding everything else. Yeah. So, yeah, not to get too technical, it's the same reason for acclamations. I think it's 5100 or 5105 of the Davis-Sterling Act, right, that sets these are the election requirements. And there's a subpart in there. It's like paragraph B or C or something along those lines. It says very specifically, in the event of any conflict between the Davis-Sterling Act selection provisions and the Corporations Code, the Davis-Sterling Act prevails. So I've always kind of scratched my head at attorneys that have tried to say, well, the Corporations Code triggers here and this is weird. But just kind of a broader common sense standpoint, doing it by the Corporations Code, and we've seen clients that have come to us uh, after their prior legal counsel advised them to do this, well, no, we have a recall election. And we say, okay, well, during your recall election, what you also need to do is you also need to submit a call for candidates in the event the recall is successful. So if the recall is successful that night, people have also submitted ballots to elect the replacement directors. No, no, no. That's not how our legal counsel wants us to do it. We've You've seen, seen this, right? We want to, to we want to do puzzling. the recall, see yes. if the recall yes. is successful yes. first. Yes. In the event the recall is successful, then we'll conduct a board election. Well, what about that three or four month time period? We have scratched our heads for years yes. because who's, some attorneys will prepare a ballot, yes or no. Oh, it was successful. Well, I don't know who's going to serve now because you were just fired and nobody's been elected to take your place. Now we're going to start with the call. Now we're going to have a board election on down the road a few more months. I don't know who's serving in the meanwhile. Well, and to be perfectly honest, I mean, it's the board of directors that has the duty to ensure that, that the new election takes place. So if there's no board, right? I mean, manage, management is not the corporation. Exactly. So who's, who's ensuring that there's yeah. no election? We, and, it, we just, it's puzzling to us, but oftentimes we will see a ballot. That an attorney will prepare. It's just simply yes or no. no like, well, I, when this is successful, I don't know who's going to sit making decisions for a while. Yeah. So just for those that are listening, right, to kind of simplify this process, what we're talking about is that we've seen this this thought process where let's say you had a recall scheduled for March and the recall is successful. 
And then what they didn't do is solicit candidates in the event. That, so to be able to elect replacement directors in March, what they do is they say, okay, well, it was successful in March. So now we'll schedule the election for the replacement directors to take place in, in June or July. Okay, so during March, April, May, and June, who's, yeah, who's on question. the board? Good question. Who's making decisions for the corporation? It just doesn't make sense. Have you heard any reasonable argument? What's the most compelling argument? But just I'm a lawyer and that's what the corporation's code provides. Is yes. that kind of what you hear? Yes. Got it. <laughs> Got it. Maybe they think they have higher success rating if they just say yes or no. Or they really we'll truly believe it's never got a chance to be successful. So we'll just go through the steps and placate the people who wanted it, but it doesn't have a chance to be successful anyway and we'll still sit. But I should think that when you send out the notice to the membership, letting them know, here comes a recall. And along with this is your call for candidates. Yes. And then the recall ballot looks like yes or no. And at the bottom is a slate. So that's how it should be. But we see it the other way, and we just can't figure out who's going to sit in those decisions. Meanwhile, the board just got recalled. So you just kind of chuckle when you see these weird ballots and say, how are they doing it this way? I guess we'll just... We don't prepare special ballots. Got it. Right. We get involved in helping um, with the managers prepare the board of directors election ballots. We have a really good template for that. But when mm-hmm. it comes to anything special, board recalls, any of the bylaws, special assessments, anything other than a board of election directors, that's the attorney. Got However, it. it comes to us, camera ready, and we send it out. Yeah, we're not. A- what their thought process is in preparing that ballot, we just look at each other and think, well, <laughs> that's what the attorney wanted. <laughs> Got it. Got so it. So you must have something in their mind how it's going to roll if it is successful. Yeah. Yeah, that's just always kind of scratched my yeah, head. We I remember too. you always saying, the, send us the camera ready ballot when we work on communities together. And I remember you'd always reply back, wow, the ballots that Tinley Logger prepares are just exceptional. And <laughs> yes, we'll say that. We'll say that 100% of the time. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, here's a question I have. So you send out the ballots. You get the ballots back. Sometimes members would like to say, hey, can you please let us know how many ballots we've received and who's who's voted already? Because if we know that some people haven't voted already, we want to go knock on their door to make sure that they turn in the ballots. Have you ever had requests like that from board members? Oh, have, often. Management, often. board members, can't, uh, often. But again, in the spirit of the law... We have always taken a very conservative um, approach to it's a secret ballot for a reason. If I didn't vote for the governor, I wouldn't want somebody to knock at my door and say, I know you didn't vote. We really need your vote. It's really nobody's business. Maybe you decided you didn't want to vote. Mm -hmm. So we don't provide any list of who did or did not vote. But we'll tell you how many ballots we have because you have the right to know how close we're getting to quorum. Got it. So in terms of the new legislation and all of the ballot materials, with the exception of the secret ballot itself... But all the balloting materials, the registration list, the membership list, the candidate roster, the outside of the envelopes, all of those are quote-unquote association records now, which are open to inspection. Yes. So as inspectors of election, are, are you allowing, given again, given those inspection timelines, can a homeowner invoke that right to inspect during the course of the election? Or are you we doing that after the... We've always the, taken the position that it's after the... After. After. after yeah. Not in the middle How of How can it be a secret ballot if you can inspect the ballots before the election? Well, you're not. You're inspecting the envelopes. But uh-huh. once again, now you know who did and did not vote. Got it. So I think, I think that's another one of those tricky, those, those tricky areas of the legislation because now it's an association record. And there's a time frame in which those records have to be made available to the member, mm. which could be during the course of the election. So as, that's why I was curious, as an inspector of election, how, how do you well, handle well, that? Well, you can look at it this way. During the, during the time of the initiation of the election process and all during it, it's really not the association's 
record records until it's all said and done and when we turn it over to the association i like that yeah it doesn't become a record until they actually have been you know triggered some type of result or there's some type of formality that's been instituted until then you're just as inspector of election you're retaining custody of this information right. until such time as they become a record and even for a year after that, right? Even you retain custody for a year after that, Correct. right? To, that coincides Correct. with the election challenge time frame. So if a member wants to come and look at the counted ballots, the return envelopes, the membership list, they're entitled to do that after the election. After the election. But not in the middle of it. Because this is a secret ballot. Correct. We're here to protect the anonymity. The privacy of the There you go. Anonymity of the <laughs> okay, voter. Okay, that's what it's going to turn <laughs> out. <laughs> anonymity of the voter. Well, kind of a related question, I guess. Steve, we have this special election that we're doing. It's to approve the special assessment that we need to repipe our, our condominium project. This has been a big laboring or We finally got the members there. We're going to have a town hall meeting. I know we've already sent out ballots, but for people that come to the town hall meeting, wouldn't it be great right then and there to say, hey, if you haven't turned in your ballot, here's another ballot for you. Please fill this up and turn this. Do you ever have clients ask you if they could do that? They have. And back in the day when we were all together meeting in the clubhouses together, and if they wanted us to attend, we would show up with a ballot mm-hmm. and provide that. But we mm-hmm. didn't give extra ballots to any others mm-hmm. to provide. Got it. Got it. So, so in a situation where you're physically present as the inspector, it would be okay for you to then hand them the ballot because you're still administering the process. But it's not such that, hey, I'm a manager and I'm going to call up Kathy and Cheryl. Can we? Yeah, can we have twenty extra ballots? We just want to, you know, litter our community with them um, when we're doing these types of things to make sure that people. But with that said, if your town hall meeting is days or sometime before we mail them out, we wouldn't be handing it to you before we'd mailed it. But once it's been mailed to the members, Mm -hmm. then we could attend a town hall and have extras available. Got it. Got it. But you would still need to be there. It It would be from us to the voter. Got it. From us to the voter. And now that everything's distanced. Now, your um, request to have a ballot, I lost it, I I can't remember, is from you to us. Call us, email us. Got it. I'll send it to you the day you ask for it. Got it, okay. So it's directly still from accurate to the voter, directly. Got it. Well, that just makes sense, right? Like, it's remarkable, right? All the different things that managers have to do. do, Oh, we just want to make sure that this is successful. How could I help? Sometimes it's important for managers to understand, just stay in your lane here. You've partnered with this third-party inspector of election. We're here to provide this assistance. Don't You don't need to get creative. If you have a challenge, bring it to us, and we'll provide the solution. Don't don't go off on your own because that could muck up the whole process, right? If you start handing out ballots doing that, how can you guys certify the vote? When you don't know where these ballots came from, these are just extra ballots, right? It would, it would present and it's some nicer, challenges. I think, for the manager not to have to say no. They can just come to us. Got it. And we say no. And we can say no directly. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I no. think I, I think that's great for managers. I think because we've been doing this for so long, and I think just going just going through rote, I think that managers often feel the need to respond and to participate. Well, it's hard to distance yourself because right? you have a relationship with these people. Yeah, but I yeah. think that once they get used to this, and I think once once you know, accurate voting services and other inspectors get more involved, I think managers are going to be more willing. Just kind of great, you take care of it. I don't want to deal with it. One less thing on my plate. Totally. Yeah, it has been fun for us to see that through these, especially brand new managers who've never used this before. When the election's over, this is what they say. Can you send me next year's contract? This yeah. was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's been nice for us to mm-hmm. see that our return to renew and yeah. service you again has been a really good experience. Well, congratulations. And that's for awesome. the boards and I think everybody. 
Well, that's our show for today. Thank you all for listening. We'd like to thank Kathy Tinley and Cheryl Wilson for your time and expertise. Make sure you visit our website at tinleylaw.com if you haven't already, where we break down this episode and link to our library article, The New State of HOA Election Laws. Then stay tuned for our next episode. To share or subscribe to the Tinley Talks podcast, visit us at tinleylaw.com. There you can find links to everything discussed in this episode, locate helpful resources, check out other episodes, and submit questions for future topics. And be sure to tune in next month for our next episode. As always, the views and opinions expressed by the podcast, its presenters and guests do not constitute legal advice. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast, please consult with your association's legal counsel. This is Tinnelly Talks presented by Tinnelly Law Group. Your community, your council.